Hello and welcome to the Tickletbook Podcast. My name is Max Mortillaro. Today uh, I am joined by our co-host Aram Timmerman, and we are also joined by uh, Josh from Accelero. Hello, Josh. Hi there, guys. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. So, Josh, do you want to introduce a bit yourself uh, and a bit of uh, about Accelero as well? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, myself, I'm, I'm Josh Goldenhar. I'm the VP of Products uh, for Accelero, and Accelero is a startup that has been around for a little over four years now. And uh, what we do uh, is, and, and I've been there since the beginning, essentially, um, what we do is allow you to take a commodity servers with NVMe storage inside them, and we pool all that NVMe storage, and we allow you to create virtual volumes uh, out of that. And it's a software-defined solution only, so there's no special hardware in our solution. Um, but the uh, the key that we do differently than everyone else is we preserve the performance characteristics of NVMe while still giving you all the options of things like a SAN. So long story short, take all your NVMe across a couple or hundreds or you know even thousands of hosts, uh, virtualize that out, make logical volumes and attach those logical volumes to any host on your network fabric. But those logical volumes can have protection, RAID striping, um, they can survive a host failure, a drive failure, uh, and they still perform like they are local drives. So if you understand the power of NVMe at very, very high bandwidth and also very low latency, high IOPS, you get all that, but you get the convenience of a SAN. Okay, that's really interesting. So um, you already mentioned you're leveraging software, not hardware. Does that mean that I can literally just pull out any NVMe drives and um, NVMe hardware that I already have in my data center and utilize that with Accelero? Or is there some hardware compatibility list that I need to take into account? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Sure. Well, we do publish uh, a hardware compatibility list of drives we've tested, although essentially any NVMe drive uh, should work because that's the beauty of, of standards um, is, you know, you put an NVMe drive in and it's supposed to adhere to the standards so that we know how to talk to it. And uh, but you, you really can, for the most part, take uh, any drive. Uh, if you want to just cook up your own hardware or use existing hardware, we have customers that have done that. But uh, hopefully uh, folks have seen the news that was just announced late last week that we've uh, partnered with Lenovo. And uh, Lenovo is reselling our solution. So if you want a, a kind of bulletproof um, enterprise quality uh, hardware, you can get Lenovo servers and get our software on that. Uh, and then we've also have uh, lots of customers that have installed on the usual suspects, such as HP, uh, Dell, and uh, of course, Supermicro. So yes, there is an HCL, but you should be able to use essentially any drive. And from that, is that also something that you're working with the other hardware vendors on partnering with them as well as you do with Lenovo? Uh, we we are working on some. Uh, there are some that have not been announced, but um, it's uh, we we really made the push from the beginning of the company to be somewhat hardware agnostic. So when we look at our our partners, and we only sell through our partners, by the way. Um, we don't compete with uh, any of our resellers. Um, the, uh, we look at them as a, as a way to fulfill, and they have unique qualities in their hardware that differentiate them from each other. But 
at a higher level, we, we try to stay essentially agnostic. Um, so the beauty of it is, is that if you design a special server, uh, for example, um, uh, Lenovo has some, some nice servers in that space that can hold up to 24 drives. Um, and uh, they, they work very well, but a different server manufacturer may come along and you know, maybe differentiate by having a very, very dense server. Or someone else may offer a lot of networking bandwidth, more, more bandwidth than other uh, platforms. So we look at the hardware vendors um, uh, somewhat agnostically and encourage them to make solutions that really fit uh, Accelero NVMesh. NVMesh is the name of the software, by the way. So, uh, Josh, regarding you, you talked about NVMesh, which is the, the the software. What what is the, um, the the way I, as a customer, could install that? Is it just uh, I, I suppose I I just procure my hardware with my NV drives wherever I need, and then I'm just going to uh, to deploy your software. Is it like an appliance, or I mean, obviously it runs on hardware, but uh, uh, can you can you elaborate more on that? Sure, sure. So we have um, a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, one is, of course, uh, as mentioned, you could get it from Lenovo. We also have a partner uh, based out of the UK called Boston. And Boston sells, you mentioned an appliance, they sell a system called the Talon. And Talon can come to you ready to go as a target system. Now, uh, we do have a client that looks like a block device. It uh, walks and talks and quacks like a, an NVMe drive. Um, so uh, we are a set of RPMs uh, in the new version, version 1.3. Uh, we are only two RPMs. So it's very, very easy to download. We have an install guide. Uh, we've had customers that have installed this on their own without any assistance whatsoever. But of course, we also offer services to help install. So it can be as easy as getting an appliance already preloaded. Or if you had, like you mentioned earlier, your own hardware uh you, you purchase it from us and we make a repository available and it's a standard RPM practices with a YUM repository. So you can go ahead and download software, install it on your clients and targets. Uh, targets for us are the systems that have NVMe drives and clients in the storage world are, are also known as initiators. So uh, anybody that wants to make use of these pools installs our block driver on the client. So it's it's a, a very straightforward install and you can literally have a, if, if you already have systems with NVMe drives, um, and adequate networking, we can go ahead and get a system up in as little as five minutes. Is it always um, something that is always block uh, based, or do you file do you do file based as well? Uh, we are a block solution because what we wanted to do was start at the very base and do something that was unique in the industry, which is uh, there are lots of distributed file solutions out there, um, but we're a distributed block solution. And that's very unique because it, it lets you take a block device and put whatever file system you want on top of it. Um, that choice was also a conscientious one and that we find it's, it's very difficult uh, to go into a customer that has an exist, uh, existing file system that they know and love, or maybe they don't love it, but, but they do know it. And um, getting someone to change their workflow and the ecosystem they have around their file system, such as backups and the way to do certain things on file systems for um, you know, things like snapshots um, that's unique to every file system in that workflow. So it's it's difficult to convince people, hey, um, in four years, we've written a file system from scratch. So get rid of that file system that, you know, is legacy. It's got 20 years of history and just move over to us. However, creating a block device lets us slip under and accelerate any file system that's out there. So local file systems, uh, just XFS or EXT. Uh, 
in Kubernetes environments, for example, or just on bare metal. Uh, and then if you move to distributed file systems, the ones of your choice in media and entertainment, we work underneath Storenext. Um, in the HPC space, we, of course, work under Lustre, work under uh, IBM's Spectrum Scale, formerly GPFS, and also very happy that we're making inroads and having a, a lot of success with BGFS in the HPC space. So it, long story short, the block device lets us fit into the entire ecosystem and you get to keep or choose the file system of your choice. We're not going to make you go a direction that uh, that you don't like. So um, you kind of partially answered what I was going to what I was going to ask next. Um, I heard two interesting file system names which are very relevant for HPC, such as GPFS and BGFS. Yes. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your customers and their use cases? Sure. Uh, so uh, in HPC. Um, or you, do you want to focus solely on HPC, or you just want a, a general flavor of the customers' I mean, use cases? I think mean, we, we can certainly have a general flavor. Yeah. Okay. Just... So the the general flavor is we like to pursue uh, web scale customers. the The idea behind the product was take what the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of the world would basically do themselves, um, but make that kind of technology available to the next 200 on the list, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, when I say that, uh, what I mean is that we know that the top eight, the top 10 companies in the world, they're not going to buy from us. They're going to build it themselves. But there's this next 200 or so um, companies that, that want that kind of power of technology, this distributed NVMe, uh, this ability to get much, much higher capacity utilization. And we go after those. So we do have, uh, which I can't name by name, but we have a, a very large, uh, well-known web property uh, here in the Silicon Valley, uh, a hyperscale cloud provider with hundreds of thousands of servers. Uh, that's currently our largest customer. Uh, we're pursuing a couple of other ones that are all well-known. The, the bad part is, is I, I can't talk about the names on those. So we go after the web scale uh, folks that need low latency, consistency, in that latency response time for their block devices and need to scale. Now, that's the kind of exciting part. And it, it actually dovetails nicely with HPC because a lot of what web scalers are doing in the world is what HPC systems have been doing you know, for the last 10 to 20 years. Um, that is lashing together lots and lots of Linux systems, um, optionally perhaps with a high-speed network, and solving a larger problem by dividing it up into a lot of little pieces. And really, when you look at a, a site like Facebook or LinkedIn um, or Google services, you know, they're doing the same thing in the background. It's not a, a problem that's based on a formula per se, but they are taking the problem of making a very scalable service and distributing out all the pieces of that to different smaller services or different smaller pieces. So the architecture tends to look the same. You have rows and rows of systems uh, try to be homogenous, and that's the same philosophy we follow. Now that aside, um, we have a variety of customers that are using the product. So one customer we can name and we're very proud about is uh, Technicolor. So Technicolor in Hollywood, uh, I can't discuss the film names, but they um, there were films that were post-production color corrected uh, on Accelero software. And this actually used the Stornext file system. And uh, those films were nominated for six Academy Awards in this past Academy Awards. So if you, um, you can kind of glean what kind of movies those are, um, big, fun action movies. And um, we're very, very happy to, to have our product used, that, uh, used behind that. And that's because these artists working with these very, very large files, 4K, 4K 3D, um, 
they needed what formerly was thought of as an HPC uh, style bandwidth load. They had workstations that were taking in 12 to 16 gigabytes per second of bandwidth to do this editing um, using very high power GPUs. And so, you know, a little bit just a couple of years ago, that was ridiculous. You know, people were getting by with fiber channel eight at eight gigabit. And now we have folks that are putting in uh, single or dual 100 gigabit cards in a graphics workstation to go ahead and work on some of these films. So can that's I, a fun can one. I, can I ask a, a little bit deeper into the architecture that goes on sure. into, the, in, into the data center? So how do these kind of customers put in the or the NV mesh that um, you guys bring? Um, so is it a top of rack storage device or is it something that is within all the servers or how should we look at that? So uh, that's a great question and one we get very, very often. And um, we had decided again from the beginning to be flexible. So the answer, which maybe in some ways makes it more difficult to answer you, is that we support both or either or mixed. So uh, I would tell you about 80% of the customers we have deploy in a disaggregated mode or what you call top of rack. Um, they will do a dedicated server or multiple servers that have NVMe in them, and they'll run our target side software. Um, they don't have to pick very high uh, power CPUs because we don't use any CPU on the target side. So we can literally have an NVMe server with um, you know, uh, up to 24 drives, and uh, we can be serving out uh, anywhere from five to 20 million IOPS uh, in a 2U form factor and using uh, no CPU. So if, if folks are familiar with Intel Skylake, uh, we recommend like a, a 4008 or a 4112 processor. These are low-end three to $400 processors. Um, so that's it's more common, about 80% of the customers, to do that disaggregated, uh, dedicated storage server. And it's really, it's an operational choice. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, we also support uh, converged mode. And you kind of hinted at that. If you have a rack of servers and every server has one or two drives, we can also logically disaggregate those or virtualize out those drives. Um, we don't use any CPU on our target side services, as mentioned before. So you can put these on application servers, and we're not going to rob the applications of CPU. However, if you're doing protected volumes, such as RAID 10 or RAID 6, and you have a server that's misbehaving because of your application, you have to reboot it, um, you're going to temporarily take those drives offline, which means that that uh, protected logical volume is going to go into degraded mode. And when the server comes back up, it's going to have to do a rebuild. And so operationally, a lot of folks have chosen, even though they could save the ultimate amount of money and j don't have any dedicated storage servers, just go ahead and spread uh, NVMe over their rack. Uh, it ends up 80% have chosen to go top of rack because that way they can you put a different uh, class of hardware maybe with redundant power supplies and manage those servers differently and say, these are storage servers, don't touch them. And their application servers are free to reboot, go up and down, and it doesn't affect anything. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, I don't know if it answered Aaron's question. Uh, it was certainly uh, very helpful for me. Uh, that brings me to the um, kind of the connectivity or the network topology that you're using. Are you using a specific transport method or kind of specific uh, hardware to uh, achieve this high bandwidth? Yeah, so we, we did start out uh, utilizing Mellanox 
um, RDMA technology. So it could work on InfiniBand, but most customers deploy with Ethernet uh, using the Rocky V2 protocol. So this is an RDMA protocol on top of Ethernet. Um, of course, in the HPC world, it's it's essentially uh, RDMA is very common with InfiniBand and Rocky for listeners out there that maybe are not as familiar. Rocky is essentially encapsulating the InfiniBand RDMA protocol uh, inside Ethernet packets uh, and actually using uh, UDP packets to go ahead and send that over a regular Ethernet network. So uh, for the lowest latency, and by the way, our, our overhead is only five microseconds. So if you're using an NVMe drive and you use an RDMA fabric, uh, either Ethernet with Rocky or InfiniBand, um, we only add an additional five microseconds of latency to the performance of that NVMe drive. So most folks, uh, actually 100% of production deployments now, are using an RDMA fabric, either InfiniBand, uh, such as in our, our uh, our customer via Lenovo, uh, Cynet in Toronto, Canada is Toronto's largest supercomputer, and that one is on InfiniBand. Um, however, we have uh, a European bank, um, uh, actually two European banks. Uh, we've got a, a hedge fund based in the U.S. Uh, that uh, that customer that is a web scaler here in California, Silicon Valley. Those are all on Ethernet, and most of that is using a 25 gigabit Ethernet on the clients and 100 gigabit ethernet on the target servers. Does that prove to be sufficient enough, uh, 25 gigs on the client side, or is it better to do 100 gigs from from all sides? Well, it, it totally depends on what you're trying to get out of it. So that uh, 25 gig adapter is, is gonna get you, you know, about three gigabytes per second uh, maximum bandwidth. So uh, in the case of some HPC loads, um, that's not going to be enough. Uh, the um, if you, you know a lot of uh, HPC HPC shops are just going to deploy 100 gigabit everywhere. Uh, in the case of a web scaler, uh, they were graduating from 10 gigabit Ethernet, so going to 25 gigabit is a really big jump up for them. And uh, there was just simply not a need. Uh, there's not a, a high bandwidth need. Um, maybe some more specific uh, examples would be better. Um, we do have a customer in New York. Uh, that is also a publicly referenceable customer called CMA, uh, and they in turn uh, run their own services for very, very high performance Oracle database. Um, so much so that they are deploying Oracle Rack, and they are doing large uh, index scans of the entire database, and their Oracle Rack clients actually have 200 gigabit cards. So they are getting uh, a little north of 23 gigabytes per second per Oracle Rack node of full table index scans. So that's a, you know, uh, because we do support aggregating multiple NICs together. So if you put multiple NICs up to eight in a client or a target, we will aggregate bandwidth on those. So the answer to your question is, um, we'll get you all the bandwidth that you can fit in with NICs uh, into your server. And it, it goes all over the map of from 25 up to 200 gigabit. I've got one more question, but um, I'm not sure if uh, Max has one as well. So uh, do you uh, still have questions, Max? I probably have something, but uh, I'll let you go ahead first, just to make sure it's not the same stuff. <laughs> so for me, um, the HPC um, is, is, is most interesting for, for what I'm doing at the moment. And while reading on your website, I came across the local bu burst buffer. Um, yes. And I, I, 
I thought that was something very cool, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that, um, Junior. Sure. Sure. This um, this refers to uh, a concept that I can't say is really new. Um, sometimes it's called local burst buffer. Uh, some folks call it local scratch. Uh, it depends on the need you have, and if uh, oftentimes a burst buffer is associated with snapshots as well. So, but um, at the end of the day. Uh, what this is is a capability. We can provide some scripts. Uh, if you have your your infrastructure automated with Slurm, uh, we can go ahead and integrate into the job scheduler, and we can have when a scientist needs, you know, out of a, a couple of thousand node or a couple of hundred node uh, HPC cluster, and they're going to um, get assigned 10 or 100 or 400 nodes. Uh, we can integrate into that Slurm job scheduler and have uh, a NVMesh logical volume attached to each host that's in the compute area for that particular job. So imagine you're uh, a scientist is going to run an MPI job and they're going to get assigned 100 compute nodes in the cluster. If they needed very fast local scratch uh, before, what you would do is you would go ahead and put flash drives in each of those nodes locally. And the problem is, uh, especially if you're bidding on HPC and you're putting an RFP out, you know, somebody at the end of the day has to either take what's been replied to or say we want a four or an eight terabyte drive per node. Uh, the size is not important. The important part is that you have to pick a size because these are physical devices. And the problem with that is if you pick a four terabyte device and one day for local scratch, you need five terabytes. Well, you you can't <laughs> you're, you're stuck. Um, so by virtualizing out your NVMe, you can make all your compute nodes homogenous. We can integrate with the scheduler and we can attach virtual devices to those hundred nodes being used in this one MPI compute job. And then you can either put a local file system, just a local scratch, say XFS on, or we also integrate with BGFS. Um, and traditionally, if you're familiar with BGFS, it has this capability called Beyond. And Beyond was able to take local flash uh, in the same method, integrating with Slurm, and create a shared file system among those 100 nodes. Um, but the problem was, because it used local storage, it didn't have any redundancy. Uh, and again, you were limited to the nodes that actually had Flash. If you combine these two methods, we can either uh, use an automated uh, tool for provisioning like Slurm, um, and go ahead and put just local devices on that you put a local file system, or if you have BGFS in your environment, you can spin up a single namespace temporary file system, and you can have it be backed by NVMesh with devices that are even optionally protected against drive failures. Um, and the beauty there is that it, now you've completely separated uh, the physicality of NVMe and the compute nodes. Any compute node can now have what looks like local NVMe, and you can specify any size you want. You're not restricted by the physical capacity of the drive in that one node. So in this way, we can actually make, uh, and if you do that single file system, you could actually use that for burst buffer or traditional snapshot capability. Um, or if you use local, you can have a local scratch or fast scratch be local and have the final result written out to perhaps a shared file system. Thanks for that answer. Really, uh, I, I think it's a really great thing to have, but um, yeah, thanks for answering that. Um, Max, you had some questions as well? I had a question, but uh, what I just heard around Slurm and this uh, integration and this kind of virtualization of local scratches blew my mind. And uh, 
I forgot my question, so I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm I'm both happy and sad then. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing. It's it's like the the Venn diagram of happy and sad, you know. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, oh yeah, I remember now. Thank you. Uh, I think the the sadness and the happiness brought all the things together. So um, my question was. When you started the, when we started the discussion, we've been talking a lot around NVMe. But my question is, are you going beyond NVMe, and are you um, are you having some kind of, I won't say tiering, but are you planning to go on the other direction, such as if a customer needs more capacity, are you able right. to to go on SaaS flash drives? If they need even more performance, can they go on 3D Crosspoint? Uh, Uh, yes, picture? these are again uh, great, great questions. So, uh, 3D Crosspoint until wow, what last week with the release of Cascade Lake? Mm -hmm. uh, 3D Crosspoint before was an NVMe device, and we work with any NVMe device. So, we already did work with 3D Crosspoint um, and had some experiments we did with Intel on uh, speeding up metadata access and things like this on 3D Crosspoint. You can imagine, since you guys mentioned GPFS earlier. Uh, doing your metadata pools on 3D Crosspoint, having then a, a first tier uh, or tier zero data pool on uh, NVMe uh, NAND flash. And then maybe you have a, uh, you could even dream up another tier on SATA flash. And yes, we do support uh, generic devices. And I'll, I can touch on that a bit more. And lastly, you could do spinning disk. Now we will not touch the spinning disk ourselves, but you can have a file system like Spectrum Scale or BGFS or Storenext that is able to tier. And our feeling is the that's where the intelligence belongs. Uh, generally, you're the uh, when you do tiering at the block level, um, you're always wrong. What I mean by that is you have to pick a granularity of blocks that you pick. And if you pick too large, uh, a single access of one block, you know, mm -hmm. may rehydrate you know four gigabytes of data that you didn't want to. Whereas the file system, of course, understands files and that files are accessed and we think the file system is better at moving that uh, those blocks around so uh we are we are going to implement our tiering or or i guess I'm, maybe i'm saying I'm, we're not implementing tiering we're allowing the customer to choose the way they want to do the tiering method uh, at the file system level at least that is today and um we're looking at integration points uh it already of course works very nicely with gpfs with bgfs and Storenext. Um, and then uh, in a lot of HPC sites, they're using tools like Robinhood. So there's a there's a rich ecosystem there uh, to be able to do tiering. We are not limited only to NVMe Flash, but we are limited to Flash. So the very beginning of your question was, we can use SATA Flash. Um, however, there's just not as much benefit there. Um, I should uh, caution that I mentioned earlier, we don't use any CPU on the target side. That is true with NVMe Media. Uh, if we use SATA Flash, because uh, the operations have to go through the kernel and the processor um, that uh, we are using CPU at that point at a, in a, at a level proportionate to the amount of IO being driven. So there's just simply not as much uh, benefit with us to use SATA. We've had customers try it, but we haven't had anybody put it into production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank okay. you for the clarifications. So yeah. Ariane, uh, last one for you. Yeah, sure. Um, last two for me then, uh, if it's okay. Um, and, and, and it's probably, um, you can probably answer them quickly, I, I guess. Um, so first of all, how do I purchase, um, 
your products and then second and and it's related to that um is it licensed or is it yeah is there some sort of why what do i buy how do i buy it that kind of stuff uh, great great questions again uh, we, we like when people buy things and when they want to know so that's good um as i said earlier we do sell through various partners so you have an option when you want to purchase from us if you contact us directly uh, and you don't have a partner we will probably ask a partner to step in or maybe you already have a preferred reseller so we'll work with them we do a sell with model so you can either contact us directly or you can look on our website under the partner section and see if there's a partner in there that you already know and you can contact them directly. So uh, very easy to get in contact with us to go ahead and get the product. And either way, we work very closely with our resellers and partners to make sure you get the best experience possible. Um, but we will fulfill through those, through those partners. Um, and then the question of uh, licensing is we have a, a unique model, but we believe it's a model that benefits the customer. So many software-defined storage solutions charge you on a per capacity basis um, and which which is we, we view that as kind of a penalty it means if you start off with four terabyte drives and you add uh, well if you add drives you're adding capacity or if you change those drives out to eight terabyte drives you might owe your vendor you know in theory twice as much money um, we don't charge by capacity we charge and license on the number of nvme devices uh, under management so if you buy, uh, and we have a tiered model, which gets less expensive, the larger your servers are. So um, it's essentially per NVMe device, but it's a lower cost if you put us on a 24 drive server rather than if you put it on a two drive server. And with that, we have both perpetual licensing and subscription licensing models. So we're very flexible the way the customer wants to go ahead and purchase. If they want to own the software, and pay for annual support, they can do that. Or you can buy a, a much less costly upfront option and get subscription pricing. And then you can write this off as a OPEX rather than a CAPEX. Okay, thank you so much for, for answering that. Um, no more questions from my side. Um, I think Max already told this would be the last one. Um, so thank you so much for uh, joining us 